following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, welcome everyone to see a good group coming out on a winter evening, snowy winter evening. Um, I, um, I'm going to introduce myself very briefly. Um, I see some familiar folks and some some new folks that I haven't met and you might not know, have a clue of what I'm doing here. Um, My name is um, Mira, Mira Young, and I'm an old Dharma friend of Mark Nunberg and Wynn. And I've been coming to this center, I've been a member of the larger community of Common Ground since uh, since it was formed many years ago. I'm also a longtime member of the Twin Cities Vipassana Collective. And, uh, and I have a, I'm a psychotherapist in private practice and have a little center just down, down the street here called Rivers Way Meditation Center where I offer um, psychotherapy and spirituality and meditation, um, various offerings flyers downstairs and uh, I um, also participate in completing what's called a community Dharma leader program through the um, uh, Spirit Rock Meditation Center in California which is part of also the greater Vipassana community that Mark is also part of um, along with uh, Patrice Kelch some of you may know her I also do some uh, adjunct faculty teaching both at uh, the Center for Spirituality and Healing at the University of Minnesota and at St. Kate St. Thomas in their Graduate School of Social Work and teach about the integration of meditation and therapy and emotional healing and just finished a course yesterday on emotional healing and happiness and was a lot of happiness which very happy. <laughs> so um, that's, uh, I think, a little bit about me. Um, I also do um, teach uh, at the U in their mindfulness-based stress reduction program. So um, I've had some opportunity to, to work with people in different settings around mindfulness um, outside of traditional Dharma settings as well. So. Tonight is my. Am I projecting loud enough? It's okay. Okay. Um, tonight's topic is actually on one of the seven factors of, of enlightenment or awakening, and uh, Mark has been covering the seven factors. I'm just going to briefly give an overview of these factors, and I don't know how many of you have been following along, and then. Um, spend some time exploring this uh, factor of calm and tranquility that you've already begun to experiment a bit. And and then um, we'll kind of go from there. I hope to not be too long-winded and leave a little time for some questions and sharing and to just have some exchange because we learn from each other. Um, sharing the Dharma is very much part of my practice. It's a, it's, I actually do it to help deepen my understanding. So I really appreciate and grateful to be here tonight and grateful for the Dharma and, and a chance to 
more deeply explore this factor of calm and tranquility. Um, and we'll be talking about some very practical ways to work with and cultivate these factors. These aren't just for people that are fully enlightened beings. These are for you and I and really available to us. Okay. Um, one thing is um, that occurred to me was that just the snow, the snow, have you noticed? Um, maybe some of you are shoveling today and have been, had cars stuck and there's stress on the road. You know, it might not be an experience of calm, but this quality, I was sitting here earlier this morning, and, you know, there's just that hush, you know, because there's snow on the streets, the traffic's a little quieter, um, sound is sort of absorbed, the kind of natural peace of the snow, just seeing it on the branches and sparkling and just, just the quietness of that. And one of the ways that we can connect with calm and tranquility is through nature, is through time um, connecting. So I thought, how wonderful to get to do a talk on calm and tranquility today. So just a little overview here. Actually, it might be a little more because I really um, found it quite, um, quite important to look at how the factors also work as a whole as we explore individual ones. So the first um, three factors of the seven factors of awakening are um, stabilizing factors. Um, sorry, these are the first three are arousing factors. And those are those qualities that have to do with, you know, getting here, you know, getting to your cushion, making the effort that's necessary, arousing some energy. Um, and then there's um, the quality of uh, investigation, you know, really being curious. Hmm, what's happening here? All right, what's... Not, not in an intellectual way, but, but this willingness to really notice and pay attention to what's, what's going on and to investigate it with an open curiosity. And then there's the factor of joy or rapture. Um, and actually, the Buddha said that if there's not some access at some point to some pleasantness in your practice, it's very hard to deepen. Um, and for a lot of us, I mean, it, it's, you know, the pickaxe. <laughs> you know, just for me anyway, it's been, you know, hard to establish a, a meditation <coughs> practice that's taken many years. And we can get discouraged. But, but, but eventually, you know, even if the mind is busy or we're having a hard time, we can begin to connect with some quality of, of um, pleasantness or or ease or calm. So that moves us in from rapture and joy. We move into the stabilizing factors. And these are the factors of calm or tranquility, and then uh, concentration and equanimity. And then, so what's the seventh factor? Well, it's our, um, uh, our mindfulness. So the seven factors are, are described like the, the limbs of a great tree, and mindfulness is the sap that, that fills the limbs. Mindfulness is that overreaching quality 
of, of just being with what is, right? Without judgments and comments and decisions. That just that knowing, mindfulness is seeing, just seeing what is. Knowing what is. And mindfulness is the one that brings balance to all the factors. When, when we start on our path, um, one Zen teacher, Kathleen Williams, says that uh, one metaphor is that the path is like being an explorer in a jungle, a tangled jungle, which is the unexplored mind. And that we, we enter this, this jungle looking to end our stress or our suffering. And we want to find that, that treasure or that path. And at first, there seems to be a path, right? We kind of go along. And then before you know it, it's like the path disappears and we're in the middle of the jungle maze, OK? So, so we, can, we, we are willing to go into, to leave the known into the unknown, OK? So, so these factors are like guides that can help us through this this um, this path of awakening to know what they are to know that what we are developing and what the fruits of mindfulness are um, so as we go into this place or these places where we've never been before I really like this analogy um, it talks about that um, we're constantly told to throw off our ego backpack. Okay. So, so the experience of opening to mindfulness and following this path of awakening or awareness really does require us to stretch and grow. And it's also compared to being like a gardener. And, uh, but that over time, with planting and fertilizing, these factors can grow in us. And then they bear fruit. So it helps to have a map, you know. It helps to have a map. And at the same time, no one can tell us how to balance our own hearts and minds. And over the years, my experience has been on retreat that a really good teacher doesn't tell you what to do, but starts to know the mind or the heart of the student and then guides a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, and you learn. Um, a lot of my experience has been, um, you know, getting lost in the jungle, you know, um, having a mind that's too energized, you know, having, having too much concentration in the mind and, and going into sloth and torpor and almost falling on my face and getting meditator whiplash, you know. Um, thinking I'm fully enlightened because I'm, I'm feeling really high on my cushion. Um, you know, I mean, you know, delusion. Um, so, so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the, the opposites of tranquility and calm as well as the qualities themselves. But I want to define the, the seven factors a little more here tonight. Um, and you'll have to excuse me. I love metaphors, and I just found some great ones, so if you can indulge me. So um, the Buddha says to monks that um, 
the factors that it's like we're in a house, a peaked house, a roof with a peak, and that all of the rafters of the house are the factors of awakening. So we need them all to support us. Okay, that that together. The peak, slope to the peak, join in the peak, and of them all the peak is reckoned chief. Even so, monks, monks who cultivate and make much of the seven factors of wisdom, slopes to nibbana, inclines to nibbana, and tends to nibbana, which is the Pali word for awakening. There's um, a story of how just um, bringing to mind the seven factors can even cure, quote-unquote, an illness. There's a story where one of the Buddha's major disciples, um, Maha Kasapa, I might saying it right, um, he was in a lot of pain. And the Buddha went to see him and said, well, how are you doing? And he said, oh, not so good. And so the Buddha arose, he would often do this, he would arise the, 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 um, that desire to practice to his monks, to the lay people. And he said, all right, Maha, you know, these are, these are the factors of awakening. And he went through each one. And lo and behold, his illness vanished. And then later, one of the other chief uh, head, uh, one of the followers, helped the Buddha at a time when he was ill. And he, he, in, he encouraged him with the factors of awakening simply by reciting them, bringing them to mind. So what's really important with these factors is their balance, as I mentioned. So as we bring them to mind and work with them, we're, we're like fine-tuning fine-tuning how it is. Um, another thing is to look at what are your frames of reference for your life, okay? So a lot of us, you know, particularly at different times in our life, it might be just to have a good old time, you know, or to make a lot of money, or to, you know, get an amazing career going. And those things are all fine and wonderful, but if those are our main goals in life, we might completely miss some of these, but something about these other frames of reference. So the seven factors are often called your frame, a frame of reference for your life. And you begin to notice what supports the practice, you know? Um, you know, if you overeat, it's kind of hard to stay awake. <coughs> You know, if you're out partying all night, you know, not so easy to get up in the morning or, or have concentration develop in the mind. So, so more and more, the seven factors can become a frame of reference for our life, actually, um, as well as, you know, the, and they go all together with the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, looking at our mindfulness of um, how we live our lives. I really want to give you a flavor and a sense that these seven factors aren't pie in the sky. I mean, they really are something that we develop and can work with. So I'm going to move now into um, 
talking more specifically about calm and tranquility. One of the classic metaphors, and I'm going to read this part um, um, about calm and tranquility, is that it can be compared to a weary walker who sits down under a tree in the shade or cooling of a hot place by rain. Hard it is to tranquilize the mind. It trembles, it's unsteady, difficult to guard and hold back. It quivers like a fish taken from its watery home, thrown on the dry ground. It wanders off at will. Such is the nature of this ultra-subtle mind. A tranquilized mind keeps away all superficialities and futilities. Does anyone relate to the fish, watery fish mind? There's um, some beautiful readings I'd like to share. Um, This first one is from the Tao, and the second one is from... um, the story of Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And I think they really touch into this quality of calm and tranquility. The non-action of the wise man is not inaction. It is not studied. It is not shaken by anything. The sage is quiet because he is not moved. Not because... He wills it to be quiet. Still water is like glass. It is a perfect level. If water is so clear, so level, how much more the spirit of a person. The heart of a wise of the wise man or woman is tranquil. It is the mirror of heaven and earth, the glass of everything. Emptiness, stillness, tranquility, silence, non-action. This is the level of heaven and earth. This is perfect Tao. Wise men and women find their resting place. Resting, they are empty. Siddhartha... The Prince Siddhartha um, was really struggling in Herman Hesse's book. I don't know if you've read it. Um, I remember reading it as an angsty uh, college student, or or maybe even earlier. I was really into Hesse and existentialism and stuff, seeking the answers to life's difficult questions. And um, um, Siddhartha had gone out, and he'd... He'd come back and he got lost again, like most of us, you know, we're in that jungle and then, oh, oh, great, I'm on the path. Oh, oh, no, where did it go? Where the heck am I? And then, oh, oh, there's a way. And then, and then finding his way, getting lost again. Well, Siddhartha um, got caught up in a lot of sense pleasures. He was overindulging and he became so involved in his desires that he could no longer deeply listen. He could no longer hear. He was full of despair and he grabbed, he dragged himself to the side of a river and he was about to drown himself when he heard the voice of the river. You know, so this is again that sense. How do we 
come back. You know, it doesn't matter how much suffering, how long we've been lost, we can find our way back. So he he heard the river from his heart, the sound of Om. And staying there by the river for many years, he listened. He learned to listen and to wait. (coughs) Siddhartha listened. He was now listening intently, completely absorbed, quite empty, taking in everything. He felt he had now completely learned the art of listening. He had often heard all this before, all the numerous voices in the (coughs) river. But today they sounded different. He could no longer distinguish the different voices, the merry voice, from the weeping one, the childish one from the manly one. They all belong to each other. The lament of those who yearn, the laughter of the wise, the cry of the indignant and the groan of the dying. They were all interwoven and interlocked, intertwined in a thousand ways. All the voices, all the goals, all the yearnings, the sorrows, the pleasures, all the good and evil, all of them together with the world, all of them together with the stream of events and the music of life. When Siddhartha listened attentively to this river, to this song of a thousand voices, he did not listen to the sorrow or the laughter did not bind himself to any one particular voice and absorb it into himself, but heard them all, the unity, the great song of a thousand voices. That one word of the the perfection, or that as isness, that fullness. few more little definitions of tranquility. Um, Tranquility is a settled inness. It's an ease of mind. It's a background sense of contentment. Tranquility is the tranquility of the mind that results from eliminating the afflictive mind states, ignorance, ill will, and attachments. Calm. When we start to settle in and calm and tranquility, there's a letting go. Even in a moment, like when we let go of the cares of the day, like perhaps even a small bit of calm when you forgot what you're worrying about, what you had to do tomorrow, or you know, just just it's a let. There's a letting go there. There's a a lessening of the the unwholesome or the hindrances, the afflicted mind states. Um, We'll be talking about those more in just a minute. Um, It's interesting how much this theme around like cooling rain and listening to the river comes forth. Um, Achan Shah, a a very um, well-known and amazing teacher um, who lived in this last 20th century, trained a lot of the great um, teachers, Ajahn Punadamo, um, this from, who's going to be coming here is from the forest tradition of in Vipassana. And um, he describes 
uses the metaphor also of water, of still flowing water. Now, how can water be still and flowing? Still flowing water. Um, He says that whether standing or walking, sitting or lying down, that the mind, that it's like water that flows yet is still. Making our minds like this, there is both tranquility and wisdom. What is the purpose of tranquility? Why should we have wisdom? They are only for the purpose of freeing ourselves from suffering, nothing else. It says, um, yeah, within our minds, it's really to be like this, like flowing water that is still. In our Dharma practice, we have samadhi, or tranquility and wisdom mixed together. Morality, meditation, wisdom. Then, wherever we sit, the mind is still and it flows. Still flowing water. Tranquility is the ease that arises when we receive and know joy. We need not look for something outside ourselves. It's kind of a relaxation. Um, there's a, a teacher and a practice that I was um, that some of our teachers have been have been studying with this particular monk, um, Ajahn um, uh, or no Utejaniya in Burma, a Burmese teacher, and he's teaching more what's called the third foundation of mindfulness, more emphasis on the mindfulness of the mind, of what's happening in the mind and how we relate to it, and. One of the qualities that we want to develop in our practice is this open, relaxed attention, not striving. And and again, that's that balance. I know in my practice, um, you know, it was like enlightenment or bust, strive, strive, strive. And I'd come out of a retreat and I'd just be literally laid out on the ground, exhausted. I mean, it was like, you know, too much of that energy. And and effort. And so learning how to just soften and notice tension, not tension, is huge. So that's something that you can access right away and at any time in your practice, in your life. Just notice tension, not tension. Relax, let go. Calm is there. You know, these qualities are really available to us. They're not so far away. But let's explore what's the opposite of calm and tranquility. Does anyone want to draw out a possibility? Unless I'm the only one that experiences that. Restless, irritable, and discontent. (laughs) Right on. Yes. You got it. So, restlessness. Restlessness. Discontent. And worry. Actually, the hindrance of restlessness is also called worry flurry, worry and flurry. Um, Aya Kema, a woman teacher who, it's so weird to call this 20th century the last century, but anyway, <laughs> in the last century, um, uh, Aya Kema, I believe she, she may have died in the, the 90s. Um, anyway, 
she she talks about um, the hindrance of restlessness and worry, and it's often compared to slavery. Actually, we're we're like a slave to our various moods and emotions and mind states. It's like slavery. And the different hindrances, if some of you aren't familiar with these, or you are, but you haven't named them as hindrances directly, um, which actually mindfulness names them so you can be less held hostage by them, even though they still come up. Um, And those are, um, do you know your five hindrances? (laughs) The the hindrances of of, uh, desire or craving. You know, kind of craving gone mad. It's like being in debt. And then there's the um, hindrance of um, aversion. You know, wanting, not wanting. You know, don't want this. And then there's a lot of um, ill will and hatred that can come along with that. And uh, and then uh, there's the hindrance of uh, sloth and torpor. Yeah, the ill will, the restlessness, and the... Um, and then doubt, yeah, doubt is huge and um, a big one for a lot of us. So um, the the quality of um, the hindrance of restlessness um, that actually the antidote for it too is calm. So you can you know even bring it to mind. Um, one teacher suggests invoking it. So I'm actually going to some of the practical ways you can you can bring it up. Um, but you have to be a little careful with invoking it, like may my mind be calm or may I have peace of mind. You know, may I be free from restlessness. You know, actually some folks are in the, the 12-step programs, you know, serenity, serenity, tranquility, same, same deal, you know, that kind of peace and ease. So, you know, may I... You know, let go of what I can't change and have the serenity to be with what is, things as they are. So, so this, this recognition of, of um, you know, that agitation in the mind. And, and Aya Kama suggests that, um, and she talks about it in terms of calm, um, an inwardly calm mind. We would like that meditation to bring us calm. Um, and we can ask ourselves when that restlessness comes, like, what's disturbing me? Why, why am I restlessness? Notice, what's going on? You know, is it something we ate or drank, or we're, we're, is there something that we're, we've done that we, we, is unwholesome that's bothering us? You know, is it, sometimes it can just be the wanting mind. Actually, um, I discovered that for myself recently. There's always some niggling wanting. You know, wanting this, wanting that, wanting, you know, it, and it's, it creates a restlessness. So actually the craving and the restlessness, you know, they're having a, a party, you know. So, um, but, so let's see, I was going to say something else about that. Um, oh, yeah, I have it right here, addictive. The other piece is um, that we can get really attached to calm. You know, it's like, oh, finally, I've been sitting here on this darn cushion with this raging mind and this aching body, and I finally get a little peace and calm, and we just want to grasp it. And then sometimes it's like, um, oh, no, 
and I want that back. And we can also get where we get hang out in it, like I did, um, without being aware of it. So actually, when calm comes up and you find you're hanging out in it, or you get a little rapture and joy, and it leads to more calm and peace, you don't want to get caught in that. You know, it's sort of like you can just go, hmm, hmm, I'm a Buddha now. And that's, that, it's nice and it's great to experience it. We need to let ourselves fully experience that of the body and the mind, what calm feel like. But also not get too addicted or attached to it. It's not the end of the path. Remember, it's the, the balance of the factors that, that create the, the, the ground for the awakening, for, for, for that leap into the unconditioned. So um, we have to be able to be okay when the calm isn't there. And that leads to um, what these, um, some other factors of how we can bring it more available in our life. But I'd like to share um, a couple more little stories here um, before I start to wind down. Um, Sometimes, oh, I, one other piece that Ayakema said, and I think this has to do with this desire that we have to be calm and peaceful, which is great, um, but she calls it, in the German it's probably much, it's more humorous, and I can't really pronounce the German, but it's all words that start like Freulich with F, F words. And uh, anyway, um, she says uh, that when you, you want peace, um, joy, and pancakes. <laughs> peace, joy, and pancakes. So that's what I want my practice to be. Yes. So, um, so but, but it is important for us to know these different qualities. So, so just think about it, like, just take a moment and think about places in nature. Um, being tranquil, it develops when we're in the company of tranquil people. You know, who do you hang out with? Or do you have times where the people, where you can be tranquil, where you could maybe take a walk or sit and watch the sunset? Um, I know when I was a kid growing up, um, we lived in a, a duplex and on the second floor, and even as a a, a kind of a teenager. Um, I remember that twilight, that time of the day, and you could just, I was in the city, and you could just see the, the trees, whether it was the green leaves in the summer or it was the um, bare branches like now, and that time of twilight, and there'd be kind of a hush and kind of that, that color in the sky. Or like, you know, the coolness of the moon. The full moon is a symbol for enlightenment. And, and uh, um, when the full moon was about a week or so ago, I was out for a walk and I came around the corner and there was this mauve, pale mauve sky. And actually my mind was quite restless. And I suddenly turned the corner and I saw that pale mauve sky with the imprint of the full moon, the same exact color as the sky. And it was suddenly the mind just quieted down. You know, the discursive thinking, whew, just chill out. So sometimes we can just, by literally taking time alone, 
um, you know, being with someone that's fairly calm or tranquil or spending time in nature. These are some ways we can experience that. It can be a support. Remember, it's that background of peace and ease. So don't be afraid. I mean, it, you, you want experience. It's like, well, Mara says we'll get addicted. It's not, that's not the case. You know, if we get too joyful and too calm, we'll get addicted. No, you just have to be mindful. And, and one of the antidotes is, is to notice it, to note it. Oh, pleasant. Oh, yeah. Oh, here it is. Um, Ajahn Amaro um, was a monk that was um, here teaching recently. He was actually in Wisconsin. And uh, um, we were outside doing walking meditation um, a few weeks ago. And it was the first bitter cold winds came in the winter. And here is this monk. He's the abbot of a monastery in California from this forest tradition. Achan Cha was actually one of his teachers. And he is out there, and it must be like 30 degrees or something, and the wind is whipping, and we're out in the country doing walking meditation. And it's 45-minute walking meditation periods. You know, you think you're dying here at 10 minutes at Common Ground. 45 minutes outside, because you couldn't walk. You weren't supposed to walk in the hall. You had to walk either inside the building or outside. So here's this monk in cotton robes, right? He had kind of a, in my language, a shmata, a rag, like kind of a, a sort of a cloth over his head. And he had his cotton robes. He had sandals on with thin, with socks, either patched or thin socks. And he was out there. Boom, 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 boom. I had my heaviest parka on with the hood up. You know, it was like walking around in a sleeping bag, you know, and my my good shoes and my smart wool socks. And I'm out there freezing, you know, walking on the other side of the building. And I thought about him. I thought, I said, oh, I just want to go in. It's too darn cold. My, I think my eyes are freezing. And, you know, they felt kind of irritated. <laughs> and then I thought of him. I thought of him just out there, you know. Just seeing that kind of equanimity, you know. And then he'd come back and all, he was very lighthearted, and he'd joke and says, oh, well, notice, notice that feeling when you come back into the warmth. You know, I'm feeling that pleasure. So there are these four, um, what would I call, invitations or four factors So that go with all the factors. So... And this is how we can cultivate them. Um, notice when it's present. <coughs> when has it arisen? This is what the Buddha said. You know, notice when the factor's there. And then what? Notice when it ain't there. You know, not there. Earlier today, I was like, well, I'm going to be talking on calm. How much calm is there right now? Hmm, not much. Okay, can I be okay with that? Not, not, not so calm. All right, but then oh, there's some calm there. You know, I started looking at the <coughs> snow and reflecting, feeling that. So we can notice its presence when it's arisen. We can notice when the wholesome mental qualities have arisen in our our minds. And you know what? What we pay attention, what happens? It gets stronger. 
know, you notice that? Like when you're shopping for a car, all you see is cars. When you want a new haircut, all you see is haircuts. You know, um, you know when you're into socks, all you see is socks. Um, there's some fun ones back there. Anyway, um, when you notice wholesome qualities, when you notice, it, every time you notice or you look for it, what's in the mind, what's in the heart, it gets stronger. So you actually cultivate that. And then you notice when it's absent. You notice that it's not there and that you recognize it. And so even that strengthens your awareness. And then you know what are the causes and conditions that bring it about. So if you're feeling, noticing, oh, there's a lot of concentration in the mind. I mean, the Buddha says this is very skillful to do, to reflect. You know, um, a teacher will often say, you know, you're like, what are you talking about? They'll say, well, how much did you sleep? You know, where were you? You know, what were you doing? Who were the people you were with? What did you eat that day? You know, really noticing that. Um, I often say to people, what is your first and last thought at the beginning and at the end of the day? You know, check it out. I mean, what we attend to, where do we... So, so really looking, what brings it about? You know, reflect for a moment. Not that you're going to make it happen, you know, but it's just like conditioning it, putting the causes and conditions towards each other that's more likely. You know, if I want to make a good soup, I'm going to put all the ingredients and I'm likely to have a good soup, you know. So you, it's all about causes and conditions, you know. There's no self behind it. So it's causes and conditions to put them in place. And then once they have arisen, these, these factors, how to strengthen them. You know, once they've arisen, what are the causes and conditions that strengthen them? Like, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll sit more regularly, you know, or I'll, you know, do a retreat, you know, these monthly retreats, or I'll do a full moon walk, or I'll spend more time in nature. Um, one last uh, suggestion, I have a couple of reading, a couple of readings to close with before our discussion, and... Um, um, one of my teachers, um, Philip Moffat, a mentor of mine, um, he said one of the ways that he suggests exploring the factors is um, living with them, like throughout the day. Like if there's a particular one you want to learn more about, and notice what are the ones that are stronger in you and weaker in you or absent. You know, um, I noticed that for me, um, I, I had I had more concentration, but I didn't have a lot of investigation in in my practice. So like really more inquiry, more like like hmm, what's happening? Or a silent question in the mind? Or like calm? Hmm, you know? Or and he suggested like something like you know brushing your teeth, effort, energy, calm. So I'm like you know how much effort does it take to brush the teeth if you're working with effort? Or calm, you know, how how wild and restless is my mind? What I'm thinking, oh, yeah, nah, 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 nah. it's like, oh, ah, what's it like? You know, so, you know, or whatever you're doing that day. You can, as you go through your activities of the day, you can, you can explore that factor or that state. Does that make sense? In your, in your daily life. So 
I want us to have a little quick time for discussion. I'm going to close with um, a poem that's about keeping quiet. It's actually called Keeping Quiet by Pablo Neruda. I'm not going to read the whole thing or we won't have any time to talk. Um, It's a very beautiful poem. Now we will count to twelve and we will all keep still for once on the face of the earth let's not speak any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and threatening each other with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us when everything seems dead in winter and later proves to be alive. Now I will count to twelve and you keep quiet and I will go. So let's listen to the sound of silence. This is actually a practice uh, John Amaro, the, the, the forest tradition, recommends listening in to the sound of silence, the hum behind it all, or that, like the hum of the refrigerator. So let's sit for a moment. comments or questions, we have time for maybe a couple. Um, Forgive me for not allowing more time. that you notice calm with mindfulness and then 
that calm supports being mindfulness. So you being mindful. Or what's kind of the relationship between those two? That's a, a good question. And and I appreciate that you're aware that you don't want to be getting into thinking and trying to make these sectors oh well, you know. You, but but it is skillful to that that's the key is your mindfulness. So mindfulness is the king or the queen. Mindfulness it, it, it's actually out of the four foundations of our mindfulness, noticing mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, of the breath, mindfulness of mind, of various mind states, mindfulness of of um, feelings. We're bringing our, that mindfulness to various objects that we're mindful about. And then we're noticing with mindfulness, otherwise we don't notice, right, what's happening in the mind and also how we're relating to what's happening. You know, because so, so it's like, um, I guess you might almost say it, it's like the mindfulness is mindfulness gets stronger because it's that clear seeing. It's and I hadn't thought about it this way. It's seeing more deeply into the nature of what's happening moment to moment and what's going on. And there are the the, the teachings that the Buddha taught is really where we direct our mindfulness of. I mean, you could you can be um, oh you know very. I suppose you could be direct your attention to something that isn't so wholesome. You could be totally engaged in it. But when there's a mindfulness there, that awareness, so so I think you're you're really on the right track with that. And to keep it simple is important. But also um, as we as we are practicing you want to be mindful of various objects of experience. I mean, in general, ultimately just relax, present awareness, resting in awareness. But for but it, but it, it's a, it's also there's a cultivation as well. So I know it can sound confusing because it's sort of relative and absolute. But but again, um, um, just being being applying mindfulness, noticing what's happening, being curious. You know that's that that piece, seeing what what's in the field of your awareness is mindfulness. So yeah, it's all mindfulness. sharing is is pointing to that that ultimately our practice is not about becoming or getting to be something it's actually 
this it's often called unfashioning. It's letting go of becoming of that. It's just that 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 being that 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 complete relinquishment, that letting go, that sure heart's release. And in that, you know, um, it can be like, well, it's, it can be like, oh, well, where am I or who am I? And and it can be like a little bit unsettling because it's like not, it's like not becoming something. It's it literally is empty and letting go. So we can have those moments where it's just peace and calm, and and it's, it, and those feelings can arise. So that's you know it helps to have a teacher, uh, uh, you know, a spiritual friend, a community, and and people that can understand some of this, you know, and also um, to to become more familiar. You know, sometimes I compare it to, um, you know, like a taste. Like sometimes um, when I first became, I was a vegetarian for many years. I'm, I'm currently a mixture. But um, when I first heard of tofu, I was like, give me a break. Tofu, there's no taste, you know. It's just this white stuff. But, you know, you know, and you're, you're used to stronger flavors. Like, like, you know, you need a lot of stimulus to feel something. In our culture, it's high stimulation. And you come off of that. It's like, you know, you can feel pretty lost and disoriented. I actually had a, a client say that recently, a story of where she, she went on a place of retreat and it was like, now what? You know, because you can feel lost. But after a while, you get a taste for it. I had a client once. Um, she was a woman in her 50s, and she was really afraid to be alone. And, you know, it was a grown woman, very accomplished in business. And um, um, she started spending time alone at her lake cabin, eventually moved up there full time, just sitting by the lake on the dock. But at first, she said it was terrifying. She was afraid. It felt like she was just going to go down a deep hole and never come out. So, so the... The, the adjustment to opening to more peace and quiet and letting go and, you know, sometimes we, we, it's like developing a taste for it or recognizing it, you know. Um, ultimately, it's described as a great relief. So let's, let's dedicate the merit of our practice tonight and close. Um, are there any announcements here? Um, I'm not aware of anything particular happening. Mark is on retreat up north for a couple more weeks. Uh, Gail Iverson will be continuing with the factor of concentration, um, these factors that build on one another um, as well. Um, and there's a holiday retreat coming up, so if you want to explore more of your states, uh, check it out. Letting the words go, just take a few moments to reestablish your mindfulness of body and breath. And then gently opening with some loving kindness and compassion towards yourself appreciating yourself for coming out on a cold, snowy winter night to hear the Dharma, to, to meditate, and wishing yourself well. 
May my practice deepen and grow. May I live with ease of well-being, peace, happiness, and freedom. And as much as you can, let these wishes for your own well-being radiate and permeate within you, and then we can let them flow out, if that feels right, from our hearts to everyone here in this room. And then beyond all boundaries and borders in all directions to those known and unknown to us and all over this earth, all sentient beings everywhere, those in living in war and fear, hunger and pain, those living in peace and ease, And that any merit or benefits from our practice be shared with all beings, including ourselves, everywhere. Peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.